1: Well, here's one many have been waiting for. What is Henry Tager up to? In case you don't know of him, he's the former global CEO of IPG Media Brands, who on his return to Australia has had stints as Amazon Media's Managing Director and CEO of Dentsu Aegis. Many figured he would be back in some way in the media game, and he sort of is, but with a twist – Henry has joined as CEO and a significant shareholder of the Influence Group, the now parent company to two 15-year-old companies in social and people influence and strategic research and systems thinking and consulting. The firms were founded respectively by Sharon Smith and Howard Parry Husbands. It's certainly an intriguing twist for Henry and could be equally intriguing for Sharon and Howard. Both of them have challenging views. Sharon is frank on where the Wild West of social influence has been and is going. Think the Gartner hype cycle for social influences. We'll get to that a little bit later. And Howard is blunt on the upheaval taking place in conventional agency strategic planning and broader corporate strategy as it morphs to a bigger notion of systems thinking, as it is known. The more sophisticated operatives in social and market research argues Howard is replacing conventional strategy and planning capabilities inside consulting firms and agencies and even corporate functions. This conversation is going to get meaty, I suspect, so buckle in, and welcome to you all. Good to have you in the studio today. Um, to Henry first, to Henry Tager first, many have been pondering uh, your t- your next move, Henry, and now it's in play. Why the Influence Group, uh, your CEO, and have bought in with this significant stake, that's all I can get to. Um, it will probably have a few of your followers scratching their heads. Welcome, Henry, and what are you up to? Thanks, Paul.
2: It's nice to be here, uh, good to see you. Uh, I've been pondering too, I guess yes. uh, for uh, some time and it, it's, it's been uh, it's been good to be able to do that i uh, I've known uh, Sharon and Howard for you know many years and uh, have always been a big admirer of both their businesses and uh, what they've been able to do um, for their clients and and what they've been able to do for for marketing really um, I've been sort of interested in, the, in in their companies for a while in in other in other guises, I guess, uh, and more recently, I, I was able to sort of spend a bit more time with them, uh, looking at what they do and and sharing some thoughts and what have you. And those thoughts, um, quickly sort of developed into uh, opportunities.
1: Was this over dinner, or was it an advisory role you're in? Uh,
2: I was sort of doing some sort of advice work, over over dinners, and it it was pretty casual, right? Um, which is which was sort of what we wanted. Um, and quite social, very social and, and, you know, with, with influence. Mm. Um, but you know, that, that, what that did for me was it really sort of highlighted and sort of put the spotlight on what I sort of have been looking to find in, in the time that I've been sort of out of the industry. And and that was something that was interesting, something that I, uh, could understand and that had a a bit of logic to it. And the, the role of influence Say in marketing, you know, I sort of quickly sort of realized that, wow, like this is a, a really big area of importance for marketing that the industry at large has sort of had as a bit of a blind spot. And we sort of talked about how that could be something we work together on. We felt that uh, creating uh, the influence group was a really good vehicle for us to bring the capabilities of the two companies, Pollinate and Social Soup, that are really complementary. And, and that was... Um, you know, the more we talked about it, the more I realised that um, we were onto something and uh, I felt really passionate and excited by it, which I was sort of looking for. And uh, the rest is sort of history. We're here now and we've been, uh, you know, doing some really interesting interesting stuff.
1: Well, your last your last gig, I mean, you exited pretty quickly um, and we won't go there, but you exited pretty quickly from, from Dentsu Aegis. How long ago was that? Two years? Uh,
2: that was uh, about two and a half years ago. 20
1: years, right. And so this is... Kind of media, but your, you know, your, your legacy, your history, and career has been around media. Would you say this is a, a sort of a quite a significant shift away from what you've, what you've done, the, the, the path you've, you've, you've ploughed before?
2: It's significant in that um, this is the most pure media I've ever come across. Pure because it's people. Both businesses are centred in. Their understanding and ability to sort of derive insights from people in the pollinate business. You know that that they have been talking to people, listening to people, and and devising answers for for their clients, of the people, Uh, and and you know the bank of knowledge and 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 expertise in that business is impressive. From a social soup perspective, the influencer channel is people. Whether they are macro influencers with, with huge followings of you know 100,000 or what we re- refer to as a nano, which is a, like under a thousand, it's people. You know, forever in a day, um, we've heard different players in the industry talk about people-based marketing and and all those sort of people some things. I don't, re- I haven't seen a lot of evidence until now of um, businesses that are really channeling a pure people play, and and. Influencer marketing is people marketing.
1: Well, well, we'll we'll get we'll get a bit further to that. I was going to say I'm not going to ask about um, what happened at Dentsu Aegis, but I will ask you, what happened at Dentsu Aegis. Yeah, I just did. Yeah. So well, what happened there? Because it was quick, it was fast, it was furious, and there's lots of speculation about what happened. What well, did happen?
2: The the, the, the business um, was in a challenging position. I was I was briefed on on the business and and was asked to uh, help deal with some of these challenges. Uh, in the time that I was there, I. I definitely saw the challenges, and, and they were challenges that you know many of the companies in the industry were dealing with. How you know we, we got on top of a lot of those. How uh, we we wanted to deal with some of those challenges was difficult between myself and and some of the other members of the executive in London and and in in Tokyo, and uh, it got to the point where that difficulty was getting in the way of dealing with the challenges, and so we mutually agreed that. It, the time had come for us to part company. And, and I, was, I, I was happy to do so, as they were. And, you know, I think there's some wonderful people there. They've dealt with some of their challenges, but they've still got some challenges. And, and, I, and I do nothing but wish them the best. The in
1: challenges impact. you talk about, is that the way they generate revenue? Is that what you're talking about?
2: No, I, I, I don't think um, getting into what the challenges are is actually important. They're just different challenges.
1: Well, I don't want to. I won't hijack this conversation around social for that one, but but I'll have another crack another time, Henry Tager. How about that? We do want to get to what this because you you know you're in a new group and it's an interesting one. You've taken an equity stake, um. So you know there's some money. There's some walk and talk here. What what percentage have you got? How much did you put in, and and why did you put the money in?
2: Well, I've got a You know, we we've, we've made it very clear. It's a significant stake.
1: Does that mean majority?
2: Uh, no, it doesn't. Right. There's uh, you know, there's there's three. Uh, major shareholders here, and and uh, Howard and, and Sharon are the founders. So, relativity around the fact that you know the, these guys started these companies, uh, it's a significant shareholding because this role and the opportunity requires someone in in this role that I'm taking to have uh, a significant say. That will, I think, d- deliver a significant return. We're a private company, so you know we're we're going to take advantage of the fact that we're private and not divulge. Uh, those details, because they're they're sensitive.
1: Yeah, and you don't have to tell a bastard journo.
2: That's right. Yes, it's exactly. Your, your, right. your words, not mine.
1: <laughs> That's right. Well, let me let me. We're gonna we're gonna loop back around to you, Henry, on okay. on what the grander plans are, midterm play, what what the influence group looks like in two or three years, and a whole bunch of other things. But we probably should get a, uh, unpack a little bit about the businesses that that you know you've bought into and what this new structure looks like and. And, and Sharon Smith, um, before we get into what you're doing now, just talk us through a little bit about this wild and sometimes very troubled industry uh, uh, that we call the influence industry. Um, when you started Social Soup, you know, at least 300 years ago, um, it was essentially then word of mouth, right? It was word of mouth. It wasn't what we know influence and influences to be today. Um, that's how long the company's been doing this stuff. So talk us through, you know, from, from you know, get go through to now. Great. And welcome to Sharon. Sorry, good to have you on the mics.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Paul. Good to be here. Uh, So, yeah, you're right. Um, Social Soup has been around for a long time, 15 years this year is our uh, time um, we've been in the market. And um, that was pretty much um, around the time Facebook was beginning as as a company. So, um, the the social platforms that we know today and and, um, we're not really present in the market. So, in the beginning, Social Soup was, was really, again, based on people and, and really anchored in people and understanding how people are connected and importantly, how they share. So uh, in terms of how that industry has evolved, um, you're right, in the beginning, it was about word of mouth. It was about how people connected and shared you know what we call IRL now in real life. IRL, um, we, thank we, we, you. We, that's
1: that's a new one I haven't got to. I like we, that. All right, IRL. We,
0: we've even got an acronym for being in the real world.
1: And just on that though, Sharon, you couldn't, you know, IRL, I'm going to use that a bit. The old word of mouth um, was difficult to track, wasn't it, to measure?
0: Mm, yeah, you're right. And, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why we ha- we now have the evolution of influencer marketing because of the sophistication that we've got now in tracking and the the visibility of what we call the social graph, in terms of how connected we are, we you know we see those connections when we started to see all of that stuff coming out of Facebook when um, they were giving us all of that social graph data. Um, so, the, the, but however, in the beginning with word of mouth, we we were mostly just tracking outcomes. So we were able to showcase to some pretty big brands um, when they activated this this population of people at, at, at scale. Um, we were driving real sales results, um, so in the beginning, we really just were tracking outcomes, right? Um, rather well, it's than it's not we, a bad thing, by we, the way. You know, yeah, exactly. You couldn't you couldn't measure whether people were talking about something in in that moment because, as they say, as soon as you try and measure something like that, you're you're interfering with with the process. So, um, the fact that we can observe what happens now um, through all the technology and data. So, I think back to your point in terms of how has this industry evolved over fifteen years. Um, It was, in the beginning, word-of-mouth marketing. It um, then went through an evolution of uh, when the net promoter score was a big thing and we we all talked about advocacy and how to drive advocacy because it was recognised as the number one way um, the businesses grow, right? So that's what the Net Promoter Score did.
1: Just on that though, that was a and, and I'd love to get Howard uh, on this as well. That was a Bain and co invention, wasn't it? Um, Net Promoter Score, and there's debate. There's lots of discussion and debate about you know how meaningful it is. Would that be fair, Howard and Sharon, both of you?
0: Yeah, you, you, you're right. Um, it, it was heralded as this silver bullet, the number one number you need to know, and I think everyone realises that it's a lot more complicated than that Um, and stated advocacy is is not the same as real advocacy. So um, I think they're able to prove it in in a number of studies but in terms of when it gets into the real world, um, it's certainly an important measure um, but it's not the only measure you need to have. Howard, Howard, can I ask a... you
1: on that though? Because it, it is, does underwrite KPIs for a lot of listed companies and executive uh, uh, LTI, long-term incentive plans, and short-term as well. I mean, NPS is 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 core to that.
3: I think NPS is a brilliant bit of marketing, to Sharon's point. Advocacy is the number one way to grow business. NPS isn't.
0: I think, and that's the point, like as soon as you set a KPI, people perform to a KPI, not, not actually what mm-hmm. it really means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right.
3: The, the KPI became the proxy for success. It didn't deliver. Yes. And I think that's the, the idea that, you can't manage it unless you can measure it isn't actually true. And it's just that we we tend to default to the stuff we can measure because it's easy. Yeah, And that's, I think, what happened with NPS. But I, I come back to Sharon's point, advocacy is still the number one way to grow your business. And um, there's much more to it than a
1: simple NPS. Thanks, Howard. In case I've missed it, Sharon, though, advocacy then, how do you define that?
0: Uh, advocacy simply is, is recommending a product or service. So, you know, having the authenticity of probably experienced it yourself and, and then you're willing to put your reputation on the line to then recommend that product to friends, families, right. followers, or anything like that. So yeah, advocacy is very powerful. Um, it's the ultimate trusted media vehicle. Right. Um, so I think back to your question around um, that evolution of the industry, advocacy, advocacy marketing became a thing of what we we called it. There was a brief period um, where it was viral marketing.
3: Oh yeah, viral.
0: Viral. Everything. Everyone wanted everything to go viral. We got We got briefs from brands. Can you can you make my brand go viral? Um, and and that was everyone just. When was I think,
1: that? Was that been like two thousand and ten to fourteen or yeah, something? Yeah, two thousand
0: and ten. I think. But then that's actually the beginning of um, Instagram. But um, mm. people just, you know, I think got a little bit um, carried away. And and yes, there was there was great evidence of virality. Um, and being able to, you know, really have that exponential sharing. They were typical
1: exceptions, though, weren't they?
0: They were typical exceptions. However, we are seeing some of that um, picking up now in, in the way that TikTok works um, and, and the algorithm of TikTok. So, without going down the TikTok hole, mm. um, we can talk about that There's later. But <laughs> 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 uh, so, yeah, viral marketing was a period of time. And then really, it, it began that sort of epoch from there, which was probably at the beginning of Instagram, I'd say. Um, where we, we we had this sort of brief period in that sort of virality phase where it was all about bloggers, um, how they were going to democratize right. marketing and media, mm. um, but that was sort and of journalism a, and journalism, yep. But that was a brief huh. period, um, and then Instagram came along and it gave people an ability, and and obviously Twitter as well, but m- much more Instagram um, to to um, microblog really and and with a, a much more visual medium. Um, and, and also it then splintered into all of these amazing niches and, and interest areas. Um, so this whole creator economy that we call it mm. um, began then and um, that's kind of where influencer marketing came from because um, there were all these visible influencers um, and, and brands could see the, the power of partnering with the right people um, being able to engage an audience um, within something that they were passionate and interested in um, and really, um, you know, authentically um, create content um, with that brand. Now, your question around then what happened in terms of the Wild West?
1: Shit happened, didn't shit it? Shit
0: happened, right? Every, it, it, became, it became big, right? So, um, and that creates opportunistic behavior. So, you've got opportunistic behavior from people, so the, you know, influencers or content creators, um, where there was many that jumped onto the bandwagon because they just, they wanted to get free shit or they wanted to be paid. So this, this kind of really trying to work out who was actually influential, who wasn't, there was who, fake was, followers. who was, it was, paying, creation of, of, who was of... paying for followers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was quite easy to, um, fake a following and, and, um, buy, you know, bots, um, and, and, you know, all these sort of bot farms, but um, a lot has happened to crack down on that. Instagram themselves have cracked down on that a lot. It's actually really difficult to be a bot on Instagram now. They're they pretty sophisticated with detecting that. Um, and also the, the access that we have to data, we are able to really, you know, using AI and a lot of sophisticated sort of data analytics to know whether people are behaving like real people. So are they posting? Are people responding to it? And um, what frequency is that posting happening? So there's a lot that goes into really sort of wading through, um, and 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 really understanding influence. Um, so all through level. those
1: dark days, those dark and dodgy days, there was still efficacy happening from um, influencer advocacy or whatever we call it now. I can't remember what you call it now, but there was it was still working to a point. There was obviously some stuff that was in. Incredibly inflated and fake and and, and absolute bollocks. And yeah. you know, some of it got called out. Some people got away with, away with a lot of stuff, and others. Marketers brands bought some dumb shit, didn't they? They bought they they fell for some stuff there, for a while.
0: There would there would have been um, a lack of visibility at that time to mm. know. And I think the other challenge that came with that is, and being an agency that's been doing this for fifteen years, we've got an incredible runway of learning and iterating and understanding. Right, and and. Um, you know, my background is data and analytics and research. So um, the, the the business was always built with a really solid platform around that. However, there were in that opportunistic phase, you know, agencies were popping up from everywhere. Um, so brands weren't working with, um, you know, partners. And if they were trying to do it themselves, they were certainly in the dark. Hmm. Um, and then they were working with agencies that, that didn't really know what they were doing. Um, and, and didn't have the due diligence behind the, the influence of vetting and the influence of selection and certainly how they were then running and managing those programs. Right, so- I
1: want to ask Henry there just for a sec because I will come back to where we're at now, um, Sharon. But Henry, this is this always um, uh, intrigued me, perplexed me actually, uh, through those, through when we're talking post-2014 perhaps on, that uh, influencers and people were buying influencers, brands were buying it, agencies were buying it, and, and it was all a rage. But for the media industry and agencies and, and brands so obsessed by measurement and ROI that they piled into all this stuff without any consider. well, it seemed to be very lightweight um, metrics and measurement around, uh, around influencers and, and the social platforms around this. How did that happen? Why did that happen?
2: It's interesting you say that. It, it actually didn't happen. The, the major agencies didn't really pile into it because at the same time, uh, the darling of the show was uh, paid search, programmatic. So I, I would put to you that most of the major agency groups, of which I've been sort of part of a few of them, uh, didn't. Right. Um, it, in fact, when when I first started to really sort of get to um, to know uh, Howard and Sharon, I was sort of interested in acquiring because right. I sort of felt that we didn't we didn't have this capability, and it was only a matter of time before. The role of influence would seep into strategic thinking. Because is it
1: media brands. When you're Australia, you mean? Or uh, yeah, yeah, yeah
2: that, that that would have been about the right time. So I guess to your point, a lot of the bad actors and uh, the wild west that you refer to happened w- without the involvement of the major groups, the holding company. So it was w- the
1: Indies then that were doing
2: it. Well, it was I, I, I would say a, a tier below the Indies, the, the really sort of smaller, um, faster. Um, setups that were sort of set up as influencer businesses, but maybe prior to that they were they weren't yeah they just became these influencer right. agencies all right so then cool. so if
1: it wasn't the agency groups that got in, why did the big brands why did big companies assign or, or sideline their obsession around measurement and ROI and so forth and go let's do this and whatever happens will happen' it's just it was trial and experimentation is what, that what it?
2: Uh, I think there was and what what made it easier for companies to sort of take that view and to have that, um, degree of, um, relaxed expectations on that is the sort of investment required by some of these companies was very small. Right. So, um, I think, uh, naively there would have been some CEOs and marketers sitting there saying, yeah, we, we, this won't cost a lot. This, we can have, you know, a, a stab at doing this and worst case scenario, it might cost us a couple of thousand bucks or, or small money. Right. What they probably didn't, you know, expect or, or plan for was the huge cost that these small experiments could have cost on their brand, and on their sales and, and right. on their reputation. So okay. I think that they're they're the they're the stories we heard of, and it's always the exception as opposed to the rule. I think uh, unfortunately, what wasn't covered in those days was the really good work that was getting done, a lot of which, you know, I've seen out of. The work that social service has done
1: right, and so we're stealing. So we are stealing Sharon's thunder here because I, we we sort of digressed. Sorry, Sharon. So the the um, thanks Henry for that bit. That sort of I think I could almost buy that. Almost. <laughs> so then what happened? Um, what happened, Sharon? So we have we've, we've got to the we've got to this whole station where we had Insta and um, and and influencers were were kicking and had been cleaned up. So we got a crisp clean world now. What was that? Eighteen nine. It was only really happened the last. Couple of years, hasn't it?
0: Oh, look it's 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 not a clean world. It's it's a lot cleaner, right? Um, you know, there, there there's still issues um, that Henry pointed to in terms of the, the the vetting that's required as well. I think once you choose a set of influencers to make sure that they're genuinely aligned with your brand, um, that um, there's no historical sort of skeletons in the cupboard that, that that's going to come out. That um, you know, ultimately, when you've got people that you align with. Um, you've got to be really careful about um, who the, you know who you're getting into bed with. So um, I think there's still more more to be done in that space. Um, I'm really proud that I'm part of the Influencer Marketing Council that launched two years ago, and and we've really been focused on building best practice, um, building guidelines, um, giving brands, influencers, agencies the tools um, to really you know. Get the rise of the tide. So if we're you know right. just elevating everything, um, then the industry is going to benefit because that's the only way that we we can become and continue to be um, a trusted um, partner for brands.
1: So where where are we at today then with um, influence uh, and how you Henry talked about people and you you talk about people and influencers as a sort of a difference there. But where are we at today and what sort of work are you doing for whom now, Sharon? Where is it going and just give us a sense of that?
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think. Um, Really, the last three, four years has been a really incredible um, acceleration of innovation in the influence space, and that has been around the types of services that we offer clients, um, the technology platforms that we've had to build or partner with, um, and and the creator economy that that sort of emerged um, across the different platforms. And the way that we're working with brands, and I think the way that the influencer industry is needing and going to move is in this sort of what we call always-on influence approach where we're activating many types of influencers, different platforms, designing programs that deliver to the business across many facets of their marketing and media mix and and really sitting much more at the centre of media and marketing. So, you know, whether it be um, generating content for their website, reviews for their e com Um, personalising, advertising messages for them around a campaign that they're doing, but really being able to take that into the real world through influencers um, and and making it work, I think is is really important. And I'd say another big change is is the importance that's now being placed on reviews. Um, Because when we think about influence, we think about all the different ways that people are influenced. And Reviews are, uh, with the acceleration of digital, the, building this strong social proof presence for brands is now incredibly paramount. So we, we do many things now as a business and, and, and influence is, is very diverse.
1: You argue that influence should be the centre of marketing and communications. That's, is that slightly ahead of where the reality of it now? I mean, is that true that it could be centre? Everything should centre around influence? I
0: think at the end of the day, it should centre around people, right? Media marketing should begin with people. And um, understanding that sort of ecosystem of influence um, begins with people. And so really understanding how you plan that out and then... Um, it's cert- we're not cer- certainly not saying that you shouldn't do TV or you shouldn't do digital search. And they're all really important parts of the mix. So, but you should start with people, right? And and understanding how we can influence the market through the channel of people, and then really looking at what that play, how that plays out across other channels and 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 other contexts. Yes.
1: Okay. And and before we get to Howard, why Henry for you, Sharon?
0: Yeah, it's a good po- it's a good question, um, and and as Henry said, we we've great question. we have <laughs> talked to find out the answer. We've talked for many years uh, across many of um, Henry's guises, and and. Um, you know, roles and
1: you rejected his obviously his, his offer to be to die. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there weren't that many, no. Uh, look, I think it's anything like that is about timing. We have we, we've we had a number of those conversations across many uh, and of the holding groups. I would say Henry was probably one of the closest that uh, I considered saying yes to. Um, and and that was really because I, I could see that Henry really got what we did, um, at that time. And and this is, you know, we're talking. You know, 2000, sort of, in 13, sort of, probably when we first started having conversations. So, I know
1: I, you're a director of uh, Influence Group, but you've just completely given the CEO a, 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 a you know, a bit she, of a wind in the sail there, Sharon. She's just telling the truth.
2: Just, telling,
0: <laughs> well, it's early days. Uh,
2: <laughs> yes, nice.
0: <laughs> so, I, I think well, why Henry then? So, we, as Henry mentioned, I, I did actually reach out to Henry about 12 months ago, knowing um, that that he was out there at large in Koji, in and um, really just asking him for some advice around some of the areas that we were looking to grow in the business and, and really just working collaboratively over the last 12 months, um, Henry giving advice on a, on a few areas. Uh, we realised that the opportunity was much bigger. Um, and in terms of Henry coming into the business, I think across myself, Howard and Henry, we've got a very complementary skill set. Um, in terms of what we, we, the three of us bring to the table. Um, and I think Henry is obviously very um, well-versed in the current um, structures of power and, and media and marketing and really understanding that world, mm. um, which I think we'll have to navigate for the ambitions that, that we have as a business. Um, so I think that's really important, Brent Henry bringing that to the table. Um, Henry is an incredibly experienced local and international CEO. Um, He has an um, incredible growth mindset in terms of growing businesses and and helping, um, you know, put the right structures and systems in place. So... Um, so far, I've been very impressed with his uh, performance on that in the business. Wow, what
1: an advertisement. Um, I think we should I, just... I wrote all of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly sounds like it did. Can we get to Howard very quickly now after that wrap? Thanks, Sharon. I, I do get your point. Um, it was just <laughs> now, very well...
2: Howard, can you talk about me now, please? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Howard, no, don't. Actually, where I want you to go is something far more serious and interesting, actually, which is um, your business, Pollinate, which um, you, know, you started a long time ago too, um, you... you your business too has morphed um, from perhaps what was a. And you correct me if I'm wrong. From what a perhaps a traditional market and social research company to what is now um, what is now known as systems thinking. I think you got a master's degree in this stuff. So I'm I sort of going not yet not, oh, yet. not yet. You're on the way, right? Yeah. You argue it has huge disruptive effects for traditional agency strategy and planning, and you think that corporate strategy could be a bit anachronistic about um, about this as well. It's, it's old school now. Break it down for us, uh, for those in the, in the dark. What is systems planning? Is this what your business is now? And welcome, Hal, Howard. Thank you. Um, I've got nothing to add about Henry, Rother. I'll come back. Good.
3: Um, systems thinking, let's keep it really simple. Look, Pollinate is still very much um, a, a research company. Its foundation is people <clears throat> and insights and, and building that huge knowledge base to inform decision-making. Systems thinking is basically just looking at the big picture. It looks at the macro, not the micro. Um, if we think about COVID, what really COVID has taught us is that the system isn't working. Right. And, and as things get bigger and bigger and more well, the and more, global system, you the mean? The global system. One, right. In fact, we, we did a whole lot of research with when COVID hit, literally every month talking to people. Um, and pretty much what people came to was the sense of like, it's all broken. It's not working. The system's broken. It's out of balance. Now, complexity creates silos. <clears throat> and, and that's just a, a natural way of things. The more complicated something gets, the harder it is to manage, so you, you break it into silos. From, from our perspective at Pollinate, we, we see more and more briefs that focus on the short-term, the, the micro, the, the immediate, the urgent. And, and what that does is it creates short-term solutions but long-term problems. Hmm. System thinking simply says, well, we still have a short-term need, but we also need to look at the big picture. We, we, we need to integrate everything. We need to look at the big picture, cut across the silos, integrate the thinking. And, and where influence comes in is influence is power. Influence is actually the, the common currency across that whole system. So system thinking simply just takes the big picture and says, well, it's actually all joined up. And if we only solve this one little bit here, it actually won't solve the whole thing. And in fact, it could create a bigger problem down the line.
1: Can, can I ask why it's taken so long for all of us to get to that point?
3: Um, I don't know. The, 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 some good books written on it 20 or 30 years ago that have mostly stayed on the shelf. Mm. Um, and to be honest, that's why I went back to university to do a master's in it, because I was fed up with the fact that nobody was actually doing it. Mm. Um, but th- this is a systemic... It's frame. common
1: sense, though, to me, isn't it? Isn't it just common that things are interconnected and linked?
3: Ah, yeah, common sense.
1: I know, it doesn't mm. exist, does it? Yeah, no? no, or it does, you just not write it, you I don't write
3: it's, it?
2: I just think common sense is very uncommon. Ooh, oh, yeah, that's mm. a fair yeah. point. Well, what Howard's um, sort of talked about systems thinking and, and sort of taking a macro view is really what we, the three of us really strongly believe... Is the opportunity for the group and influence as a as a as an important and, and critical driver in business. So, to your point earlier around, um, you know, our our desire to have it at the centre of marketing is not um, for it to uh, be the centre of attention, but for it to be an important cue for brands and 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 companies to understand the power of the influence they already have or the influence that they could generate and integrate that into their marketing thinking so that they get a better outcome for their business. So what what that will uh, no doubt mean is that when we are working with some of those companies and helping them take a, a macro view through a systems um, thinking approach, we'll, we'll identify lots of drivers in their business and that hopefully will mean that we're working with lots of different uh, partners that they would have and, and providing a better sort of uh, journey map for what they're trying to achieve, uh, achieve commercially, which um, isn't what currently happens. Um, I, I would say that from from my past and what we see still happening, the role of influence in marketing is, is usually sort of gotten to after the traditional definition of marketing is dealt with. And sometimes it's too late that we're not leveraging influence early enough, or sometimes influence isn't part of what they're doing at a mainstream market to power it further. So, it's um, it's a it's a huge opportunity point.
1: And it's not just I mean I think Howard talked about it in an earlier conversation. I- influence is not just about um, the digital platforms and some influences. You talk about influences could be internally for an internal internal people inside a company. Howard, is that is that
3: yeah. influence? Is effectively power. It's a, it's, a, it's a fundamental motivation. And where we, Sharon gave a wonderful synopsis of the sort of history of viral and word of mouth and advocacy and influence. Influence moved from a verb, which is basically to, to get something else to do what you want it to do, to have influence upon it, to mm. literally power, to a noun. Right. Someone with millions of followers, a Russian bot. As I love Sharon's point. It's difficult to be a bot on Instagram these days. It felt like a self-help group for bots there, Sharon. <laughs> but, <you> know, <laughs> it's an opportunity. The, the truth is that you know, once we commoditized it, which is what classic marketing media likes to do, they would go, right, it's easy. It's a commodity. We can just buy and sell. How many is it? How cheap is it? How, How many thousands or tens of thousands of followers? Fine. So once we turned it into a noun and commoditized it, we took all the meaning out of it. What no. we're talking about is influence could be everything. It could be the context and the message, the message in that context. But also it needs to be joined up. We need to recognise that all of the different parts of media and marketing still have a role to play, but there's a, it's really important that we actually put influence at the centre of the planning and join it up and say, well, actually this and that together will work better and, and that will create this next thing. And at the moment, certainly all the briefs I've been getting for nearly 20 years and across the 5,000 or more focus groups I've run are still very siloed. They're still very much, this is this, and then we're going to give it to another agency. And I'm just like, it's just not joined up enough. And that's the opportunity.
2: Here. Yeah, to, just just to add to Howard's point, I see where we are now as a bit of a flashpoint moment. No different to about 15 years ago, we were having the same sort of conversations around paid search. Google was in town. They were uh, talking to everyone about the need to uh, buy the right terms on Google to support um, you know, what was happening in your advertising. And
1: I, I, I recall- well, you talk, in your support your organic search, you mean paid search needed well, to support organic? Is G- that what you
2: mean? Google weren't talking organic. Google right. were talking paid. Oh, I'm and, surprised. And, and, they, you know, un- understandably, and, and it, it was a powerful and really effective uh, proposition and product that they still have, obviously. Mm. Um, so I think back of those days where we sort of took on board, you know, what Google represented as a uh, an opportunity and also a blind spot soon to be, and I think of influence in very much the same uh, place right. right now where the inclusion of uh, influence into the thinking at the beginning of the process will spur on always-on influence, which you know we think is a huge opportunity for marketers and, and for brands, not to mention a greater uh, presence in the broader business growth um, agenda,
1: um, Howard, so when you talk about systems thinking and all those grand uh, things which sound like uncommon sense um, to me, uh, is it landing? Um, what, what sort of companies, what sort of organisations are actually going, rather than just, yes, yes, that sounds great, actually doing, is it landing anywhere? You don't easily land systems thinking. You, you actually have to
3: do the work and then land the solution. Uh, let me give you a simple example. When we're working with, say, the forestry sector, there's a simple dichotomy or contradiction Common sense. I love trees and I love wood. And they're pretty much truths. The problem is you have to cut a tree down to make wood. Nobody likes trees being cut down. So so how do you reframe that so that you can have both trees and wood? And and basically what you have to now do is you have to look into the complexity and the trade-offs and the fact that common sense-wise, we, we we don't want the slaughterhouse, the slaughterhouse paradox. <clears throat> so what we did there is we did a whole lot of work looking at different ways of looking at it, and we reframed forestry as And forests is the ultimate renewable. Because the bit that's missing is the fact they get replanted and the fact that trees grow back. And once you put an analogy like, well, forests are like farms, you regrow them, you can regrow them. It's a renewable resource. Well, now we go back to ah, oh, like renewables like solar, like wind, and now it becomes part of the solution, not part of the problem.
1: If you're using plantation timber and you realise that you might be uh, using agricultural goods that might might have cleared Amazon, we won't go there. We won't go there in the native forest. But I take your point. Like there is a there is a um a relief valve for someone to say, okay, I'm consuming wood, I mean, I'm using wood, and trees are being planted. But there are bits back, in back, back to the common
3: sense. If you think about it, it's more that if we think about the media world. We, we like to focus on what we can measure. And it's easy to measure awareness, but we don't actually measure awareness, we just measure opportunity to see mm. it when we think people have seen it. And, mm. and why? Well, we can just measure those metrics, they're really easy. They actually don't relate to anything in the real world. And, and similarly, we've had a, a, a lot of behavior change work, which works very well, but behavior change really needs to be part of systems change. And we haven't done the systems change. So we shouldn't expect too much from our media or all the work we're doing in marketing unless it's joined up. Once it is joined up, then it truly can deliver the influence that marketers and everybody actually wants and deliver those Thank you. Bigger goals.
1: You you bring up a really good point, and we uh, we've got to um, wind this up shortly because I could go on forever, and we probably have been. I haven't looked at my, my watch, but um, you did you did measure. I mean, you did mention measurement, Howard. And so when you talk about influence to 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 all of you, um, how what is the what does measurement look like now, or what does it look like, and you know what does good measurement look like in a couple of years' time when, when everyone's going to jump on this like paid search?
3: Uh, look, personally, what I'd like to see is actually measuring change. Not measuring media right. for the sake of it, or measuring marketing, or measuring these NPS. That's a good one. A tri- right, I mean, that's, actually a, at,
1: that's a tricky one. What that's do you want, we
3: want to sell more stuff? All right, well, let's see if we can sell more stuff. What do you we want, we want to get people to change their behavior? All right, let's get people to change their behavior. Let's influence actual change instead of influencing invented metrics and KPIs that actually relate to something that Bain made up. And come back to what Sharon said, advocacy is still the number one way to grow business. That's not NPS. NPS is just an invention to make it simple to pretend you understand that incredibly complex
1: world of trusted advocacy. But, Sharon, you'll you'll have to invent some metrics for what you do.
3: Uh,
0: Yeah, you're right. And I think there's no one metric that's measuring, you know, it comes back to the objectives of what you're trying to achieve and and really building that out as a a system of metrics around. Um, And and I think, um, you know, it it comes...
1: Can it include what Howard talked about in terms of measuring change?
0: Yeah, I think so. Is
1: it too ambitious?
0: No. I mean, it, again, it depends what change you're trying to create. Are you trying to change an attitude? Are you trying to change behaviour? Or, or, or flog a, a product. Or flog a product. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of closed-loop measurements now that can be in place in terms of um, seeing that if we're working in the e-com environment, because that is um, quite closed up, mm. we, can, we can track that quite well. And I think... Um, we we are entering into a an, an interesting phase in the digital industry in terms of measurement. Um, you know what's happening sort of through the Apple sort of privacy um, through cookies um, and everyone scrambling to build these measurement systems. Um, and we certainly have a lot of what we call zero-party data, and um, that happens at a at a community level um, because we we have a huge network and a huge, um, community of influencers that we work with. Um, we have access to their data. Um, we have access to people who are following those influences and their data. So we are designing, um, systems that uh, don't exist right now, um, to really give us that integrated measurement, um, of influence. So, well, That's it's interesting
1: coming. because you're obviously seeing, you know, um, social commerce and content and commerce um, really starting to uh, take hold. So it's initially one. We, we, we will move on from that one, though. I want to know from each of you how all this comes together. So you've got the influence group, you've got Pollinate, you've got Social Soup, you've got Henry Tager um, as a unit. And, um, I guess it's what, what happens? How does it, that was slightly facetious. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, but, but how does it all come together? How does this group come together? Uh, and then I want to get to what, what next, but, um, Howard, how do you see it coming together? Beautifully. <laughs> Surprised.
3: I mean, let, let's go back to what we talked about at the beginning. It's not like Henry's just walked into our lives. He's one of the few, um, really senior media and marketing executives who's actually reached out to us over the years and taken an interest in what we're doing. And, you know, it's not. Where we are today didn't happen yesterday. Mm. Um, so how does it come together? I think we, we've got, as Henry said, a clear idea of what our roles are. We have a different perspective, different points of view, different experience, um, and it melds very nicely together in that sense. I genuinely think the big opportunity here is both top-down and bottom-up. To say, that There's an opportunity for people who, who hold those really big risk decisions who are facing you know, the reality we ca- they can't just carry on as they are. Business as normal is not going to work anymore. We're not going to go back the dinosaurs didn't die out overnight, but the minute the meteor struck, they were pretty much extinct. Five hundred years later, COVID's happened. There's been a step change in society in so many ways. That's now going to play out, and it's going to play out in media and marketing as well. So I think for influence, that that is being recognised, and the influence group is an opportunity for those senior marketers and decision makers to go. There is actually a, a better way, and from the bottom up, frankly, it's quite straightforward. It's really just about adding the smarts and the the strategic thinking and systems thinking that Pollinate has the incredible work that Social Soup has done now for a decade and a half, just proving that it, it can consistently be done. And just something Sharon said, it's not about, um, not actually what you said, marketers and brands falling for some dumb shit, I think was your word. It's quite elegant. You know, elegant, it?
1: eloquent. Mm, eloquent as well.
3: I'm glad that wasn't me. No, Wasn't you? <clears throat> but I think the key thing here is what was happening, that scramble for, whether it was advocacy or word of mouth or viral marketing, was short-term, urgent FOMO decision-making right. by brands and marketers. Right. And and, and that, I think COVID has caused that pause. And now I think brands and marketers are going, actually, there is a better way. And it's been 15 years of, of work to get to the point where we're like, are
1: we ready for that? Yeah. Sharon, how does it come together from your perspective?
0: People are looking for a better way. I don't know if they've all found it yet, but they're certainly looking for it. And I think that's happening at the very senior levels. Boards are questioning what's happening in marketing and you know, it's, it's the definition of um, insanity, isn't it? You keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. So um, they need to do something different. And we think that the influence group gives us a vehicle to have those quite high-level strategic conversations um, that we probably haven't been able to have before. Right. Um, I, I think that influence for well, us...
1: Howard how and Pollinate certainly is, is up. The, has been up the food chain, right? That's what you, you sort of deal further up, do you? Was that fair? Uh, yeah, up and down. Up and down, right.
3: I'll take anybody's money. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, but yeah, obviously we've gone quite a way up the food chain. I think Sharon's point is more that the 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 upper echelons of decision making in in Australian business and organizational decision making have actually woken up to the fact they've got to make different decisions. Right. They've got to take risk because well, it's not working. It's not working. And Mm. and what what we're offering here is a way to say, well, we know it's not working. We happen to have agreed. We've just agreed with you for longer.
0: Yeah, I I think it's ultimately based on a a fundamental truth of of human behavior and inevitable change that's already here. Mm. Um, You know, really understanding um, influence at at the heart and and being able to plan um, media, marketing, messages um, from people people out. So I think, you know, Influence Group gives us a vehicle to do that. We are really excited about that, and um, you know excited to see where it goes from here, so I'll throw it over to Henry yeah well
1: Henry how do you see it how, how do you see it coming together
2: I guess the um, the catalyst is growth boards CEOs, executive teams are asking themselves and, and each other how are we're going to grow and and I, and I say that with timing in mind the 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 market has returned and that's been traded off as growth over the last, Not. you know, eighteen months, off the back of the sort of the cliff that you know that was was COVID to to a certain extent. So I think rightly uh, the, the business world is is probably asking itself, so how do we now grow back to you know the ambitions we needed to be at, without it just being a return from from the past? Um, what new ch- what new channels? Do we need to uh, discover both from a marketing perspective but also from distribution and from selling? Um, So when I I look at the capabilities the businesses have today in that through Pollinate we can take a big picture view of a company's uh, infrastructure or ecosystem and the drivers of growth, we'll be able to identify where influence fits into that. So within that system we'll identify how influence can be leveraged will surface those uh, uh opportunities and and sh- show those companies how they can dial that up and work with whoever those companies partner with to enhance and to make it additive and i think for us that that uh that gives me confidence that we will grow because um i guess our intention and at the heart of what we're doing um, is really about helping businesses grow because we know that's what they want I don't think there's going to be any doubt about that.
1: But let's let's be brutal. Uh, in two to three years time, the influence group, you haven't joined um, to sort of retire. And so there'll be some things cooking here. There'll be some grand ambitions from all three of you. And, and Henry, what does, what does the influence group look like in two to three years? Are you um, going to acquire? Are you going to be acquired? Are you building? Are you will expand your units, divisions? Will you become something bigger? Will you look like a mini group of some sort? Uh, what becomes?
2: Well, I, I, I can tell you that uh, within the next 12 months, I think uh, organic growth alone will be hugely exciting for everyone in our business and, and for the partners that we have. Um, Let me pull a double? Uh, I would say double is, is a realistic and reasonable expectation. Wow. Um, and uh, depending on the sort of um, understanding and, and support we get from the broader business community, then double may actually be sort of calling it short. I hope that's that's that would be a great problem to have, um, but also a great opportunity for the broader market, not just for the influence group. We, we're not the only people who um, you know who realise that influence is important, but we're definitely the market leader. And, and social soup is um, by you know by by the history and and the, the clients and the work that they've done. You know, clearly that uh, that leader. Um, More broadly, and and I guess further down the track we w- if there are opportunities to acquire businesses and they fit within what we believe helps uh drive the growth agenda we'll definitely look at it the business is is well capitalized it's uh it's it's a very healthy business and i think that will only improve so we we will have that option um whether the, w- whether we uh get bought or do anything else you know a bit further, it's a bit early to say um but if we uh, keep growing, and we do good work, and we um, show the broader market that influence is critical. Uh, we may not need to sell, or may want. We, we may not want to do that. And I think that's one of the really exciting things for me, um, in that uh, joining uh, Howard and Sharon, and, and, and which is a privilege, and being a, a shareholder in the business uh, a- enables us to leverage our independence, and. As importantly, really take advantage of how simple our structure is. You
1: must be tempted, though, to think that there is some traditional agency or group services in the in, in the holding companies that could attach to what the influence group is doing or diversify and broaden your
2: offer. You know, possible. I think the temptation might be theirs, um, as opposed to ours. We we are open to work with anyone in the marketplace and to partner and and to create. Uh, meaningful work that drives business growth uh, we're not uh you know i think it's important to say we're not out to uh, take from others or to uh, you know steal share or what have you because we're in a what we believe a, a segment within the marketing and, and media industry that n- no one's really taken any attention to so if 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 it grows we will grow with it and and that's what we want. We you know we think the the whole industry will benefit out of making it more part of the initial mainstream thinking.
0: I think I was just going to just build on Henry's. I think that there is there is probably a tension on it. Like there is a tension on it. Or, or the, the holding groups are all sort of hmm. setting up influencer marketing shops, and and every agency sort of popping that on as a as a um, you know a an add on service. Mm. Yeah, a new <laughs> shiny thing. Um, but there's no leadership currently in the industry, no one no one's really taking that. I mean we we are the leading agency, but you know our our sort of reputation at that sort of more senior level and and being able to elevate that conversation, I think is what what we want to do, that that's why you know that's why we're here. All
1: right, well, it's it's a fascinating conversation. I think there's um you know it sounds like influence and influences. I now have to open my mind and and my ears and watch what you guys are going to do at, at, at the influence group and what happens to influence marketing. So, look, it's a great conversation. Enjoyed it. There's a whole bunch more to go there, but we, we're out of time. Henry Tager, Sharon Smith, Howard Perry, Husbands. Great talking. Uh, stay safe. And let's see um, what happens in, I don't know, three, six, 12 months' time. We, we may have some more interesting news. Thanks for joining. It's been beautiful. Thank, Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Right. Bye. Thanks, guys. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer, Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer.